Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, calling from Hurricane Central. And the, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't really a hurricane. It was when it landed in Rhode Island, like 50 miles east. Right. But by the time it got through Connecticut, it was just a little breeze. And then it <laughs> hung around New York City for a while and just dumped rain on New York and New Jersey. Oh, no. Pennsylvania, and now it's headed back as a tropical depression with like 15 mile an hour winds, but it's going very slowly, so it's going to dump a lot of water on us. Anyway. Oh, great. All right, I'm glad you're well. Now most people are well. At least the cars are on the ground. There's no trees yeah. on the house. Everything's yeah, good. Yeah. Sorry to anybody who's listening who had uh, catastrophic conditions, but uh, you know that's what happens when you live in the world. Sometimes well, your hurricanes comes are up. scary, man. Even even the even the cat ones are still serious business. Yep. So uh, what's new, Richard? Still up on the coast, you know. This is summertime for me, and it's been very enjoyable. I had a great moment early this morning. I looked out my window, and there was full moon there, as it's that time of year or that time of the month, for that matter. But the and the moon was as the moon was just coming down, going to sink below the horizon. The sun was coming up, and so. The, the, um, the, the clouds were lit and it looks like the moon was lighting clouds. But it's like, no, they're, yeah. the clouds are orange. That's the sun lighting the clouds while the moon's still hanging around. So yeah, I don't think the moon no, can light clouds. It's, it doesn't yeah, have that much light. It, yeah. It's only <laughs> going to do so much. So anyways, it, it was a cool picture. That's the upside of getting up at the wee hours in the morning. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, let's start things off with better know a framework. Roll awesome. the funky music. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? Well, this week's Better Know Framework comes to you from the goddamn developers division of oh, uh, no. .NET Rocks. This is a story from bleepingcomputer.com, and this is, um, this is one that we did on uh, Security This Week, which is a new show that I started with Patrick Hines and Dwayne LaFleur. Okay. And uh, what we do is we look at security and we learn about it through the lens of current events. And this is a current event. This really happened. Get this. A razor bug lets you become a Windows 10 admin by plugging in a mouse. What? So, so Raz- this is not this is not ASP.NET Razor. No, no, no. This is Razor, the mouse and keyboard and hardware company. R-A-Z-E-R. Okay. So they make systems and they make peripherals and one of the things they make is a mouse and when you plug in the mouse it downloads their software because mice need software do they i i it's so stupid (laughs) (laughs) so basically here's what happens you you plug in the mouse uh operating system automatically downloads and installs the driver in the Razer Synapse software. Right. And the Razer installer EXE executable is launched via Windows process running with system privileges. The Razer installation program also gained those privileges. So the setup wizard allows you to specify the folder where you wish to install it. And the ability to select your installation folder is where everything goes wrong. When you change uh. the location a choose a folder dialog will appear. But if you press shift and right click on the dialog, you'll be prompted with open PowerShell window here, which will open a PowerShell prompt in the folder with system privileges. Interesting. And you can verify it by typing who am I, NT space authority backslash system. You are an admin. 
Oops. <laughs> well, you know, every company's a, a software company, but they didn't say it had to be a good software company, did they? Yep. So anyway, I blame some stupid developer who said, boss, boss, hey, boss, look at this great feature. And they go, yeah, ship it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's start off with the fact that Windows has mouse drivers, right? So it's like, did you really need this software? Is this really that important? I mean, Razer makes fancy gaming mice, so they probably have some extra buttons and things. But you know, you know what path they're on here, buddy? What? This is the path to mouse as a service. Ma- they want mass? a monthly fee. Yeah. Mass? They want a monthly fee for their mice, and they're going to make it mass. by driving you through the software. Moss, which in Spanish is more, which is what you're going to pay for something you don't need to pay for. <laughs> Moss. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. The software probably configures the blinky lights, you know, and things like yes. that, which well, everybody needs. But, you know, it also speaks to the vulnerabilities in Windows itself. You know, if you're going to install a driver when a hot piece of hardware comes in and you want to pick a folder, the default settings for the default dialogs let you drop to a PowerShell window. Yeah. So, it's I can't so the, completely blame Razor for this. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I, if it was an admin, if it was a domain-controlled machine, now I'm putting on my run-ass hat, and I didn't give you admin privilege to your machine, I suspect you'd hit a point where it would ask you to to enter admin privilege right. uh, account information and put a UIC prompt in front of you. Yeah. And then you'd have to call me, and I'd say, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come I'm installing it. a mouse. Stop right there. I'm going to beat you senseless <laughs> if you install mouse software. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there will be no gaming mice in my domain-controlled <laughs> machines. But, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting problem, yeah. and uh, and it's an ongoing one. You know, certainly it's a big topic on Runass. Is this constant battle of securing machines? Yeah. Well, anyway, that's what I awesome got. Awesome story, dude. Thanks. I love it. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show fifteen eighty two, which is from September of twenty eighteen, which is the last time Dan was on the show. Oh wow, which is way too long. <laughs> And that's when we were talking about testing uh, single-page applications, you know, back when we, that's what, what Dan was doing. Because he's had some weird stuff since then. You know, we're going to have to talk about that. And that was a conversation about Cypress and a few other tools. Uh, and we got some great comments on that show. Uh, this one's from Floyd Hilton. And again, a few years ago, he says, uh, thanks for the comparison of the major spa frameworks. The, quote, steep climb for .NET MVC developers moving into the spa world is very true. .NET devs should check out Blazor at blazor.net. What the hell well, is that? it's not in production ready yet. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to check that out. That's nothing, right? Remember, it's September of 2018, so I'm being a little unfair. These here, are the I same guys that install mouse software. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Just stop. It's not, in, it's not production ready yet. This is what Floyd was being qualified. Yeah, yeah. But the promise of using .NET tools for devs like C Sharp and Razor templating, especially the ability to reuse your C Sharp code in the browser, make it an exciting alternative. Nah, it'll never catch up. Yeah. Not a thing. It's just a fad. Uh, hey, Floyd, I'm happy to send you a copy of these to code by, even if I may have teased you just a little there, but you were on the mark, man. Like three years ago, you weren't wrong. It's like, if you're not happy with spas, take a look at this Razor thing. Maybe it'll work for you. And a copy of Music to Code by, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And drop to PowerShell first. 
You'll need elevator privileges to complete this good transaction. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's bring on Dan. Dan Walleen is now a cloud advocate at Microsoft. And uh, you can read his full bio at .netrocks.com on show 1756, which is what this is. Welcome back, Dan. Good to be here, guys. It's uh, uh, Monday morning when we're recording this. And I would just like to say talking to you has been mm -hmm. a nice break so far from the typical Monday morning uh -huh. activities. You know. It has but been that, that kind of, of Monday. <laughs> a few surprises. <laughs> I'm a little surprised it's been three years since we've last talked, but then you've also done some weird stuff in the past three years because crossing over, becoming a blue badge, what's up with that? Well, it sort of follows your uh, your lineage as a, as a sort of generalist. You've hopped from technology to technology quite gracefully <laughs> and uh, mastered a lot of things that – uh, that a lot of our listeners, uh, learned yeah, from. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it was a good 20 plus year ride as, uh, running my own show, you know, and, and that was good. Mm -hmm. Um, when our travel pretty much shut down, that was a good opportunity to say, do I want to keep doing this? Because I was so burnt out of travel. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to travel two to three weeks a month, um, usually on site mm -hmm. with customers and stuff. And yeah, so that got old. So this, uh, I had a great opportunity at Microsoft come up. Um, you know, I'm in the, as you mentioned, Carl, I'm in the cloud developer advocacy group. Um, and I'm kind of a Microsoft 365 crossover guy. So I'm sort of the cross cloud type of uh, focus nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that people understand how different Azure and M365 are to each other. Like they all think it's just a Microsoft product, but they're totally like I add separate accounts that don't intersect well, and I'm still dealing with tenantitis. <laughs> tenantitis. That's a yes, good. That's me. That might be an accurate term. I I this, don't even know what I don't even know what 365 means anymore. I don't, you know, I uh, does it mean Office in the browser? Uh, does it mean? It means all of that. It, it's big. It's big. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're nowadays you'd be talking, um, obviously the office products, uh, that you install and the browser. You'd be mm -hmm. talking about Microsoft Desktop Teams, versions too. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft Graph and the list goes on. I mean, there's, and then there's all, you know, planner and all these other things that, uh, integrate with teams and things. So there's a lot there. It's wild because you have the consumer facing things like office and then, I think of stuff like, what was that one that you mentioned before, Planner? Uh, Microsoft Graph, yeah. Microsoft Teams. Yeah. Graph, that that's like a developer. Yeah, yeah. you thing. know, Graph is, right? Uh, I'll have to admit, before this job, I won't say I had never used it because I did once, but it wasn't a focus that I worked on consulting-wise. And now that, and mm -hmm. I, I don't say this because I've like, you know, I've been here a year now, so you'd be like, oh, well, he's already drunk the Kool-Aid or something. Honestly, I'm I'm looking, or maybe he's that? just drunk, <laughs> or maybe he's, <laughs> or maybe just, he's drunk. just drunk. <laughs> right. Uh, honestly, yeah. looking back, I go, why the heck did I not use this more with companies? Because you can tie into so many cool, uh, you know, business aspects, business pieces of data, and bring those right into the app. And you know, we can talk about that more if you want. But yeah, it's been kind of an eye opener. Yeah, I guess. The caveat there is your customers have to have Microsoft accounts and all of them do. Yeah. Um, you know, most work. of the companies I worked with, they were already using that anyway. 
So it would have been kind of a right. no brainer to integrate it, but it's just one of those things, you know, you do what you do. Sometimes you're not aware of the other kind of cool tech out there. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, you, we did a show with you about developing for the office 365 API yeah. in 2014. Yeah. I, I did a consulting project for Microsoft. That's how that one came up. Yeah. Right. And, and actually I was looking, I was, I was really looking for how many times have we talked about trying to program against office over <laughs> the decades? Yeah. Like their shows going back to wow. 2003 that predate, you know, me. <laughs> Tim <Hunter. laughs> Yeah. Trying to get it, trying to integrate with office at, in .NET because office never went to .NET. It stayed VBA and it was tough to it glue the two things the together. And that stuff was around in mm -hmm. the 90s. We, uh, on that topic, I don't know if I mentioned it in one of our previous shows, but way back in the 90s, Carl, going back to what you just said, we needed to uh, get weather data and some other data from sites. And the easiest way to do that, short of, because keep in mind, this was 90s. <laughs> so we're talking classic ASP. Screen scraping. You know, regex was a thing, by the way, but not a thing I was good at back then. Not, not that I ever got good at it. Um, so we used Excel to pull in the site we needed, and then you could easily parse the cell rows and cells to get to your data. That was all VBA. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Whew. I just heard, uh, I just sensed a bunch of listeners turning off their podcasts <laughs> right now. What? Yeah, we, won't, we won't go there. The well, we hadn't talked about DDE yet. We could go down to DDE oh. path if you really want to, because yep. we did that too, right? Like, uh, anyway. Is it, I guess it's, we're not even talking necessarily about directly integrating with office apps like Word and so forth, but just getting into the 365 ecosystem, because there's so much information about an organization there that you can tie into. Yeah, and that's the part that I just hadn't really touched before. And now that I've kind of been, you know, deep in that world, it's pretty amazing what you can do. I mean, we're looking at, uh, just as an example, we have a collaboration event that's going to be coming up in October. And one of the things we're looking at doing is, you know, mm -hmm. as the three of us and all the listeners, let's say, are collaborating you know, what if Richard, you weren't in, but I knew you're part of the meeting, you know, like you show almost like an outlook on meetings. Right. Um, it'd be nice to know, oh, well, Richard's busy. Richard's out of the office. Richard's, you know, your presence. And so, you know, with Microsoft Graph, mm -hmm. for example, you could use C Sharp, .NET Core, of course, to, uh, they have an SDK and I can get your presence. I can get information about, and this is all things that uh, are very secured, of course. I want to highlight that. But we could bring in, you know, when you log mm -hmm. into the app, you could bring in documents that are related to what you're doing um, so that you don't have to go dig through your email or your OneDrive or whatever to find those. Richard is writing a book and reading a barbecue. There you recipe. go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I get my Cortana emails on a regular basis that remind me of questions I've asked in previous emails that may or may not have been answered. And also gives me a sense of how much time I'm spending on Teams calls versus so forth. Like, it's almost a FOMO inducer. Like, am I collaborating enough? <laughs> you know, <laughs> have I got enough quiet time? Like, am I doing enough for you, Cortana? Are you happy? I'll admit that, that I get those too. And that's one I don't, don't pay attention to a whole lot. Yeah. But. <laughs> that I'll tell you the question ones yeah. are super useful. Yeah. 
Like it's like, should I write a follow-up email? Like those I found really nice. And it's nice to mark them as, oh no, that's been responded to and fine, it's done. Like those kinds of things. But it and I only bring it up primarily besides the funny part of, you know, getting FOMO from a piece of email from a digital in, in, in entity, but that this is a side effect of being in the Office 365 ecosystem is so much of your information is flowing through it and it's trying to help you. It's trying to provide more information and, and we can do this in software as well. We can take advantage of this additional knowledge in the software context. Yeah. And that's the part that, um, I mean, to kind of go through it, you know, I mentioned security and that's always a big kind of hurdle for folks when they're new to it is to get to that information. You first got to get through these different security techniques. And it does differ. You know, if you're doing a spot, there's a way to do it. Wait, so. wait, 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 wait. Mr. Willine, are you telling me I can't just turn off the security <laughs> well, first and I mean, start to go? You, know, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, Richard, but your is barbecue it? is that your barbecue <laughs> is that good that I wouldn't say, yeah, for you. Well, uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, I'm being funny, but this is one of the things I like about cloud is that you don't get to turn off the security in cloud. Like you have to develop with the security context in place. This is a driver towards this zero trust model. Yep. The cloud trusts no one and you, you have to follow the authentication procedures. There's no workaround for this. Yeah. And the, the upside of that is it's very secure that way. I mean, down to in like in Microsoft graph, for example, and, and I'll, I'll bring this up just cause I've been doing a lot with it over the last few months. Um, you know, you actually define the scopes, uh, which a lot of people would call almost like roles, but the scopes, like I want to access, uh, you log in, Richard, and you're working with a customer and mm -hmm. the app now goes out to your email and pulls in any email subjects that are related to that customer. Well, obviously that needs to be really secure because now, you know, we're reaching out yeah. to touch your email, just like Outlook does It'd be really no different. So I'd mm -hmm. have to have, for instance, at a minimum, a mail read scope uh, defined because otherwise I can't pull that in or likewise files. Right. You know, I need to be able to read a file or write a file. And it's just like other things you do in programming. You have to set these scopes. And if you don't set it right, trust me, it doesn't work. Not that I might have found that out several times the hard way, but. <laughs> I may or may not have. How, how would you know friend, this? A friend, how a do really you know? good friend who, you know, stumbles on these things from time to time. <laughs> But yeah, I also appreciate that. Again, it's like, hey, you're going to have to do the security stuff right up front and learn it. It's part of the process. But once it does work, like you already know it's secure, it wouldn't work if it wasn't. Yeah. And what's nice there is, you know, you're leveraging the Microsoft Identity Platform. Um, so for a lot of internal devs, mm -hmm. they're probably leveraging that in some way or another, especially if they're using the, like Azure type things, um, because, you know, you're using Azure Active Directory. Um, ultimately, even if, even though you set up, you mentioned this, Richard, you set up your tenant, um, because you can get a free Microsoft 365 developer yes. account and get access to like everything in the kingdom for free. It's still behind the scenes though, is right. using Azure Active Directory for the security aspects. So, mm -hmm. um, I think for me, that was the probably biggest learning curve because once you get past that, if you've called RESTful APIs before or used SDKs, that part's pretty straightforward, I'd argue. Yeah, no, but you got to get through that that part, certainly. But, but still, we get the question of like, what does an office already do? Like, what am I programming against? Where, what's the goal here? What are people trying to make? 
Yeah. And I, I think that for me was the big eye opener because I would have said the same thing. It's like, hey, I could just go to Word Online or Excel mm-hmm. Online or like, what else do I need? Well, and again, right. I think it comes down to, uh, I'll just give you some real life things here. How many times for those that have files and who doesn't, have you tried to send an email to somebody about a file? Maybe you were supposed to take an action item on it or whatever. And you're like, I cannot find that freaking file. Like, where is this stupid thing? <laughs> now, you could argue, go to office.com. That's where I go. And that'll pull up and you can search and all that. Right. But imagine I'm in a, let's go through a scenario here to maybe make it a little more concrete. Imagine I'm in a customer management type app, you know, because there's not enough of those out there. Um, and <laughs> uh, I am doing contracts as an example. Well, how cool would it be to actually, while I'm in that app, bring in the related customer email subjects that I could then click on and drill in or the related customer files that are related to that so that it's all right there. Um, Now I don't have to Mm -hmm. hop over to Outlook and go, did I send that as an attachment or hop over to OneDrive or wherever else you might. I use Dropbox too. So, you know, hop over to to Dropbox. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Having help you using SharePoint. Hop, and that's a whole another yeah, ball of wax. Mm-hmm. With this, these type of APIs, and, and again, this is just one angle. Um, you could pull that info in. And, and to top it off, if you're using Microsoft Teams at work, we have a, a gazillion chats going on. Um, I have, just since we've been talking, right. I have three big ones that just popped up. One, relate, one relates to the fun from this morning <laughs> that I mentioned. Um so I'm not going to study right. that now because otherwise I will lose focus. But uh, what if I wanted to pull in <laughs> chats related to that customer into the custom line of business app? I yeah. mean, it's just, to me, it's like taking your app to the next level uh, information-wise. So It also strikes me you're, you're avoiding reinventing the wheel. Goodness knows we don't need another chat system. And we don't need another email system. And we don't need another file store. It's like we already have too many of all of those things. Speak for yourself, Campbell. I'm got. writing my own. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you say that facetiously, and I don't think you're that facetious. Actually. <laughs> He's going to do a cool Blazor one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Blazor file right. system. That's oh, yeah. what we need, Carl. A Blazor file system. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's with web sockets. It's like making a Camaro banana split. <laughs> uh, so, that's really deep, man. I'm thinking know, about that right? for a minute. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I like about this, though, is uh, given that I was pretty new to, you know, some aspects of it, um, is that, mm-hmm. like, from, from the .NET angle, um, your skills already are, you already know this stuff. You just don't know you know this stuff. And it's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know. And by that, I mean, you don't realize I could, inf- I could integrate all this cool info um, you know, into the app, for example, to increase the productivity, hopefully, and efficiency of customers. Right. And I already know how to do this. You know, if you know C Sharp and you know .NET Core, for example, or even .NET Framework, it'll work with that too, of course. But um, mm-hmm. you already know how to do this. It's just a little bit of research and time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So it's in our, in our set of skills already. Uh, adding, this is, uh, part of me is just like, this sounds like easy money. Like this is going in and creating productivity features that companies need, amplifying what M365 is already doing for them. Like you go, go hunt those customers. I literally 
kick myself <laughs> because I'm like, why didn't I think about doing more of this right. back in, you know, when I was on site with all these customers? Because right. we were so focused on the custom app aspect yeah. that we never really went outside the box to, hey, did you think about? And obviously I didn't at the time because that wasn't the focus, but imagine the value add there. If I would have said, Hey, you know, have you ever thought about this too? Because this this would make it where your people don't have to go search all the time. You just bring it right in the app. And it's like kind of, I don't want to say life changer, but possibly, you know, (laughs) no, it can have, I think it can have a huge impact. Think about like teams as the interface that most people are going to. If you're in the M365 ecosystem now, you're probably going to teams even before you're going to outlook now. So the fact that your app can show up in Teams so that it's already in front of people right away, that to me seems pretty powerful. It's just a question of how well integrated it is. Yeah, and that also gets back to the security mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you can do SSO, of course, which you'd want to do because how annoying would that be? People get into Teams, then they have to log in again to your app. Right. Um, so, yeah, you get that SSO. And, you know, the, the funny thing, if you want to switch to that a little bit, that is also something that, because with Teams, a lot of people think that Teams apps, and I'll admit, I am guilty of this. Yeah, You know, before coming to Microsoft a year ago, I had used Teams for one single customer call. Hmm. I had never, never used it besides that. Hmm. Um, now, over this last year, I probably would have, to be honest, because I would have used our tenant. But I just never needed it. Right. And uh, so I thought Teams apps at the time, just kind of ignorance showing here, meant almost like installing an iPhone app or an Android app or, you know, something like that. And in reality, of course, it's just a web app that you host somewhere and it just brings it in through an iframe. Of course, there's a little more to it. There's a manifest file to specify things it can do. But, you know, how cool is that, that while you're chatting or while you're having a a meeting that you literally could have your app right there so people don't have to context shift. And again, it's just... It's kind of new ways of thinking about things because I think we're all pretty good at popping between monitors or alt tabbing or whatever. Right. But what if you could minimize the amount of times people have to do that and just bring it right where they work every day? That's kind of the idea. Yeah, I appreciate that. The, then the question is still, what don't we have? You know, what what do, what do we need to build? But I'm also wondering if this is more of a brownfield thing. Like how many of these odd apps do we have in our portals in our enterprises that should be better served sitting in the teams of interface well i can tell you several at microsoft <laughs> because i can never remember the freaking links right it's like oh damn i didn't bookmark that one now i can never find it again you know yeah no it may, that makes a lot of sense but it, it is i did again i'm going to go brownfield on this like let's take an expense app save me god how many times have we dealt with this <laughs> Could, that's the app could I, I take an existing region. application that's as long as it's a web app, if it's going to live in an iframe, couldn't I just add the icon to Teams and that app will appear? You know, if you literally just wanted to add the app, yes, you can yeah. click on, you know, you, can go to, you want to go to one of your channels, click that little plus at the top next to the tabs mm-hmm. and then select website. There's a little option that comes up and you can right. search, just type website and then type the URL. Boom, you're in. Now it's not going to have any you might have to add the authentication. You know, yeah, you, know, you now get that. Welcome to relogging. Yep. If you do that simple way. And then, of course, that's the most simple way to get started. So the only, only requirement really is that the website has to allow itself to run in iframes because you can 
kind of shut that down. Right. You can, you can breach that. So be tolerant to that. Then the next thing would be, can I map identity to the existing identity in M365? Yep. What does that look like? And that, uh, there's a couple ways you can do it. First off, normally, uh, on the spa side, there's a Teams SDK. Right. Um, and the Teams SDK has, and, and they're actually simplifying this greatly. In fact, let me, let me back up a little bit. Anybody that wants to get started with that, uh, there's a VS Code extension. I don't know if they have one yet for Visual Studio. Uh, I think they're working on it, but I haven't seen it. But I know there is one that is out there for VS Code and uh, basically allows you to build Teams apps. Now, keep in mind, when you build a Teams app, though, mm-hmm. you're not writing like Teams code per se. You're writing your code for your app and then kind of putting it in a little wrapper, if you will, uh, it's called a manifest. It's a JSON file. Right. It's, it sounds very progressive web app to me too, that the idea of a manifest yeah. that produces an icon, like that seems very yep. PWA-ish. It's, it's very PWA-ish. Exactly. Um, huh. I, uh, you know, if you would have talked to me a year ago, I would have been like, why? Like, why would I consider <laughs> doing yeah. that? Huh. Um, but now it'd be like, yeah, hey, Carl, guess what? Your people use your app all day while they're chatting about th- issues that come up in the app, not necessarily bugs, but maybe data, for example, mm-hmm. with other team members. Right. Why not just bring it right there where they're already chatting? Right. And it's not that hard to do that. So it's pretty cool. And pretty powerful. Dan, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. You know, there's something new from our friends at Text Control. TX Text Control supports the integration of legally binding electronic document signatures into your ASP.NET Core web applications. Simply use Microsoft Word documents, prepare them using the Text Control online editor, and request signatures from signers. It works just like well-known e-sign services, but runs on-premises in your infrastructure without sending and storing documents somewhere else. To showcase typical workflows and the text control electronic signature technology, they published a fully functional demo that can be used to create and request signatures, sign documents, and to validate executed PDF files. See the demo at esign.textcontrol.com. That's esign.textcontrol.com. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. Hey, we're hanging with our friend Dan Willey and uh, talking a little uh, O365. I don't even say API because that, that's not even a term anymore, is it? Didn't they sort of deprecate that idea of the O365 DPI? Well, yeah, everything's now M365, what was Microsoft that? 365, yeah. um, I, you know, re, a lot of renaming. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but do you... To get access to the APIs, is it like a special account? Is it something you have to turn on? Like, what is that? And it is yeah. just a set of APIs. Yeah. There's nothing more magical than this. No, that's why I said earlier, I, I honestly, and again, I'm not saying this because I, you guys know me pretty well over the years. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say what I think. I'm not going to say what the party line is. And what I think truly is that there's a lot of missed opportunities here, like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, especially like you said, in the brownfield type area, uh, Richard. There's a lot of apps out there that you can really just completely take that app up to the next level, like I said. But anyway, as far as the APIs go, you know, if you know how to work either A, with RESTful APIs, which mm-hmm. most people do, 
or B, just an SDK, which wraps those, makes it even easier. Again, I'm going to argue that most people know that as well, because now we're just talking properties, functions, mm -hmm. uh, methods. Um, then you can integrate with either Microsoft Graph, for example, and that would get you into your business intelligence you know, data. Right. To do that, though, to get back to your question, um, yeah, you would need a tenant, and you don't want tenonitis. Is that how you worded it, Richard? You like that? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm totally stealing that. Please, um, spread it around. So what you can do, though, is you can set up a free Microsoft 365 developer uh, tenant account. And basically, that gives you keys. Like, I have one I use for all my development purposes. Uh, I have, like, 20-odd users. It gives you, I can't remember how many. But... You get access to Teams, you get access to Microsoft Graph, you, you get access to everything, literally everything. And now you can actually build a real app against a developer tenant because, you know, if you're manipulating files, for example, mm -hmm. you're maybe deleting files or modifying or something programmatically, you probably don't want to test that out on your production tenant. Well, you get to once. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Until you get that hand slap and they shut you off. <laughs> we call that a career limiting move. <laughs> you deleted your resume? Oh, so sad for you. <laughs> That's right. I got a story on that, actually. So uh, I, this wasn't in mine, but, you know, I've also done a lot of training over the years, training classes and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And a buddy of mine, no joke, he was in a SharePoint class he was teaching. We were in the same building. That's how I heard about this. And there was two guys in the class. And I guess they decided to try out whatever he taught. Um, they thought it was cool and wanted to try it out. Right. Best compliment and ever, they, right? They want to get to work on and your And they your did own. try it out uh -oh. in production. <laughs> and they brought down their whole server. <laughs> and it turned out they had no backups that were valid backups. Ouch. <laughs> so... Ouch. I can't remember if they ended up leaving class, maybe. Yeah. I got <laughs> to, new priorities now. <laughs> that's right. That's a true story, though. So, oh, let man. that be a lesson to you folks. Test, tested a test environment. Backup's well, good. Well, you know, again, I've got the, I'm the IT guy. So, it's A, you know, I'll make fun of your failed backups all day long. That's on you. But B, why were they able to? Right. Like yeah. They yeah. You shouldn't have those privileges in the first place. Like it's the oldest line in the, in the book. It's like you, you don't want accounts with access to the production logs or the production systems because then it could be your fault. As long as you literally don't have those accounts, there's no way for you to attack production. It is not your fault. Exactly. In fact, right. if you, it's a liability yeah, it to have access. I was just going to say, Carl, if you said, Hey, Dan, we'll give you access. No, thanks. No, thanks. I'm no, not interested. Okay. Nope. With great power comes great responsibility. No thanks. Don't yeah. give me the keys to the bank. Me? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and certainly living in IT land a lot these days, talking to, you know about sysadmins not living in their sys accounts. Like, stop making your administrator accounts personal. They're a role. They're a job. They do a thing, and it's the only time you use that account. Your account is a domain account, like everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, I think that really, you just summed up what separates the more experienced ones yeah. from the less experienced because you quickly get burnt by something oh, and you don't want 
those keys. You know? Yeah. Well, and you don't wait, you don't want to get comfortable with them. They should be uncomfortable. You know, one of the conversations you've been having lately is like, if you're in an administrator privileged account, which generally is, it's not a super user account. It can't do everything. It does a thing. One of the things it cannot do is read email or surf the web, which also yeah. helps remind you you're on the wrong frickin' account, right? Like, because surfing the web and email, that's what domain people do. It's like, well, hey, I need to check that email to do this admin thing. You've got two machines. We've all got two machines. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite features of Chrome or Edge or Firefox is, you know, you can set up multiple accounts. Yeah. And that was like one of the first things I ended up having to do at when I joined Microsoft last year. Because, you know, for, for instance, I'd be working on this developer tenant. And all of a sudden, I can't even get in. I'm like, what the frick? Oh, I logged in as my Microsoft account. There you Gosh, go. Gosh, dang it. You know, and then what? log out. Right. Does Dan Willeen have tenantitis? Yeah, I have, that, <laughs> I have that problem every time I try to use Teams. And, uh, and I don't know who set it up or what account or whatever. Come to find out that, oh, they sent it, the invite to an email account that I set up only once right. and yep. never use. Oops. So that's why you can't get in. <laughs> uh, I have Hello? three workstations at my desk. They're all logged into different tenants. And so I people send me messages all the time on Teams. And it's always a surprise to see which tenant it popped up in. They Because they, of course, have no idea, right? Like they, there's no way to know. And so it's like, oh, what's it doing over there? You know, I have to, I will admit, have you all had... Uh, this is an annoying thing that we need to make better. I, mm. I need to find the powers that be, but have you ever had it where you do get the like uh, AAD login, but you're not sure which account you're supposed to use no. to log in because it no. doesn't tell you. Oh, and better right. still, I have two machines that show the same two accounts, but behave in opposite behaviors. So oh, nice. it's like on this machine, that account logs into this tenant, but on this other machine, the other account logs into that tenant. Mm. So Dan, just uh, last week, we were talking to Joseph Finney, who's a developer who built this app called Text Grab. And uh, it sounded like a cool thing. You know, you could, uh, it's sort of like an OCR thing, but you can crop an area of the screen and it copies the out of text a picture to the clipboard out of a picture so um what we both tried to install it yeah <laughs> we both had, no, we both had tenant well. problems and it wasn't wasn't no. it wasn't his fault um my one of the problems that i had richard and i had two different problems one of the problems that i had was that apparently when you go to the windows store you have uh, it keeps track of all of the Windows machines and their names that you have used the ever. store with, and it ever going back to the two thousands, right? Whatever the f you know, whenever they first started with the store, and you only get ten, and after you get ten, you get a little message when you try to install something that just says error. Yeah, and and, and I had to, and, and then I realized, oh, there's a details button here see details and it basically told me that you have too many uh windows machines registered with the microsoft <laughs> store go delete a few <laughs> I, I swear to god 
I've never had such a, a maddening experience trying yeah. to install a piece of software that was essentially yeah. and that, and two then, bucks. And the killer is you know that Joe takes the <laughs> flack for that. It's got nothing yeah. to do with him, but it's like if you deploy apps into the store, you're suddenly on the hook for the entire store experience. That's well, and and that, and it's and it's like, oh, you're in Canada. Everything is different, and everything you've done is wrong. And start over. Hey, <laughs> I uh, for a couple of years I had a kind of a oh what's the official a Pomodoro type app like mm-hmm. a productivity type app in the store. Um, I ended up pulling it though because I did make some off it. I didn't get rich off it, obviously, yeah. but um, but it was the same thing you just said. Is there would be issues that would come up that I had no control over. But somebody would give you, you know, that one star yep. review over that issue. Yeah. That I'm like, this has nothing yep. to do with me or the app. So finally, after a couple of years, I'm like, yep. you know, this is just not worth the aggravation. Yeah. You know, maybe if I was getting rich off it, obviously it would have been. But well, then you'd hire somebody terrible. else to take the flack for you, yeah. right? But exactly, yeah. exactly, my feedback crew or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it and it's uh, it just. I wonder how many things don't exist because of this stuff. Yeah, all of these yeah. challenges. Dan, all that tenant stuff aside, if you had to pick the most surprising feature of Office 365 development that, uh, you know, you just, after it worked, you just shook your head in amazement and said, wow, that just saved mm-hmm. me hours and hours and hours. Just pick one pick that we haven't one. talked about yet. Well, I'd probably have to go with one that, uh, is outside the scope of what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And that would be the real time aspect of, uh, so Fluid Framework has an open source library because they're part of the Microsoft 365 overall. And there's some stuff coming out, by the way, that will impact this. But that was one definitely that, that once actually? I got, it's real time collaboration, which mm-hmm. as you all know, is very hard to get right. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not talking just WebSockets. Um, WebSockets is one thing. Resolving conflicts across machines as you're collaborating is a whole nother thing. You know, think of a Git merge, right? But at the per- the person level right. with the data they're typing, for example. For me, that's probably been the most cutting edge feature I've seen. But that's also very new. If I had to pick something that's been out for a while, let me think. Uh I would say it's probably some of the the Microsoft Graph APIs that mm-hmm. once I was yeah. a once I got past the security parts. One of those things you you write the middleware once, and once you've mastered that, you're good. But just like mid, all middleware, until you get that middleware working, you hate it. This is this um, cliff you have to <laughs> climb over. Yeah. Once you get over, yeah, exactly. it'll be great. But you only do it once, and right. so once you do it once, you know you're in. So. That aside, once I did that and then started calling into, you know, to get files or you could pull chats from teams either or whatever, mm-hmm. I, that was where I went, you know, this is really freaking compelling. It's it's just a story that I think we need to tell a little bit better. And that's, to be honest, that's kind of my team's job now. We're sure. a new team. But, it, but I get your point that once you get through this, you have access to so much stuff because it's all in M365. So this yeah. is all the office yeah. docs, all of the team stuff, 
all of the the identity stuff, the sort of shared information. Like, there's just so many things that sort of. Oh, and we didn't even talk about dynamics. I guess all dynamics is in there too, right? You can do dynamics. I don't do that one, but yes, yeah, yeah, that would be another one. Yep. Yeah, it just the list goes on and on and on. I mean, you know, for instance, Planner um, is one that people used for mm-hmm. planning purposes. You can programmatically interact with stuff like that. Um, How, you know, I, presence. I mentioned you could do that. So. Does C-sharp really uh, an important part in this? Like, what about the sort of power apps model and the and the logic apps? Like, there's a lot of stuff built into Azure for this. And as a programmer, like all of this, those things make sense to me. It's just I'm just trying to figure out, like, why would I write C-sharp code to do some of these things when I could leverage all the stuff that's already in Azure? You know, and you could, you could, um, you know, the power apps or you know what on the customer side, what used to be called Flow, right? Know, the, app logic stuff. Um, you absolutely could integrate a ton of stuff. In fact, we have someone, uh, her name's Aicha on my team. We're, we'll meet tomorrow about mm-hmm. this actually. And she has an example. We want to integrate some presence into this uh, app we're working on. And she has an example going already where she just did it all visually and said, you know, do this. And then if this condition happens, do this, branch off, branch off. And it's all visual. Um, and she's able to pull that in with just like next to no code. And that's totally valid. I think what it really comes down to though is for custom line of business apps. Right. Where yeah. you really are truly customizing what you're pulling in and you need to call those APIs yourself. That's probably where the C sharp angle is going to come in a lot. Um, yeah. But could you? I mean, really- I, and I immediately leaned on the whole this is a brownfield thing. Because I, w- I would be tough to justify starting from scratch right now if you're in that 365 space with not going Power Automate, Power App. Like they they do a lot of the U the the UX heavy lifting stuff, which is a ton of work, right? To work on different form factors and so forth. A lot of that just comes for free if you're happy with the look. Like there's only so much tailoring you can do. Exactly. Well, a good example uh, we have internally a process where we'll get feedback from our internal customers, right? So we needed to get a list where everybody uh, across multiple teams could input people they've been working with. So that normally, you know, what would you do? Well, you'd either A, go to Excel and just do it that way, which Mm -hmm. probably would have worked. Or if you really want an app, you're like, okay, well, we need a database and we need, you know, an app and now we got to host the app. And Mm -hmm. so somebody actually created, uh, they just, used power apps and did a very quick put it together in less than a day and they had it done (laughs) don't have to worry about all that stuff that's great i love it yeah it's funny how much of that ritual is dated now living in the cloud too where it's like this is just another blob store that goes with all my other blob stores and like an awful lot of this infrastructure is just intrinsic the idea of standing at the database and and all of that stuff it's kind of why, why why we don't need that yet we may not need it ever. And, you know, in the, in the end, Azure SQL is better doing the reporting anyway. Let's just store the blobs and then we'll, we'll parse those into the database when we needed to analyze the data. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to there's just so many apps that are just pure crud, you know, create read update apps that why are we spending the time on that type of app where literally it's just almost like moving Excel to the web, but we want the scalability of. Yeah you know, the web. We also want something built that when they hit the limit of the tool, the dev can step in and extend it. Like so many of these 
you know, codeless approaches create something that once it hits a constraint, it's like, sorry, start over. And my experience working with folks around power apps is that, no, no, there's a place for a dev to drop in here and add a piece of functionality. You just couldn't get any other way. And not only that, not derail that domain expert programmer, right? That person who was really a domain expert and has started to do coding in power apps, you know, is, is doing that additional thing. And it says, I can't do this one thing. Like I'm struggling with how to get this piece of data out. It's like, oh, let, you know, let me give you an API for that. And you build out that API in C sharp and push it into the same system and suddenly just appears as another service for them. And it's like magic. They don't know how all that happened and they don't need to know. But the the other thing is you don't have to take over that darn app. Like it's not like I didn't have enough to do, right? That's right. Hey, I spent, (laughs) I spent a a sprint writing this one feature form presented as an API, some good error handling around it, followed the rules that power apps has for their, their APIs. And there it is. He's good to go. We only have to maintain that back end piece. He can continue to work on his project. My uh, second job out of college, um, I ended up running a team there, and I still remember the the CIO walked over one day, and one of our, we had it, this was a government agency, and we had one of those budget things set up where certain uh, orgs within this organization could get free IT, mm-hmm. and you know how that works; they expect the world. So he came over because one of the high priority, probably an elected official, I suspect, was upset that we hadn't started on their project yet. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, let me show you our backlog. And we had like, I think it was around 77 uh, like app requests where we would take down anywhere from, you know, two weeks to months to build these out. And it's one of those scenarios that where a lot of these apps if we would have had something like power apps, I would have absolutely done that yeah. because they didn't need the line of business uh, customizations necessarily. They just needed to get something out there quickly. Right. And th- that would let us do it. Well, and you brought this up with the whole CRUD app thing, right? It's like, listen, forms over data has been done. It's pretty done. If you need That's another right. one, like use the power, use power apps to do that. And it takes longer for me as a dev to learn your domain well enough to build the thing you want than it does for you as a domain expert to use this set of tools to get to the outcome you wanted. Well, and plus, you know, when you have the power app studio and stuff, you could actually in calls visually show them, does this look good? Does yeah. this look good? Whereas when I'm building all that by hand until I have something I can show them in HTML and CSS and all that stuff. Not a lot I can show you until it's ready, um, at least in a prototype stage. Right. And it looks good because if it doesn't look good, you're going to get first, you're going to get dinged on the font. That's, that's right. what we need to talk <laughs> about is the and font. And then you're going to get and the text. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Oh, but it does. Okay. Well, what about that, Carl? Move that. Yeah. Can that go over a pixel? Like, that, yeah. that's not yeah. quite right. Yeah. Those aren't quite straight. I know. Yeah, and that's, on one hand, you know, I'm happy you're complaining about that because it means none of this other stuff is important. It's, you're only complaining about the unimportant stuff. Yeah. I love- Dan, Dan, before we go here, I want to know what you think of or if you've seen OpenAI Codex. I have. Uh, I've only I, – I got access. I've only briefly played with it. But uh, it's freaking incredible. Yeah. Is it scary to you? Are you angry? Uh, are you amazed? What's your – first reaction i'm uh no definitely not i there's so much so, so much of that boring stuff we can automate mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. 
Um, like, yeah. come on, do I, how many for loops have you written? Like before you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I I'm got okay it. Something else I, like that. I got this part nailed. <laughs> Just like, do I, this. I have proven myself. Yeah. I am certified in for loops. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> let somebody else do it. If it's a tool, go for it. I would say though, no. cause on, you know, you're, you're all on Twitter. Cause I see you a lot. Uh, I'm cautious though. And the reason I say that is, there's been some interesting comparisons of what was output with some of those. Yeah. And uh, mm. one of them, I'm like, yeah, that, that's a little scary because, you know, you're going to get somebody that doesn't know better. They trust what the AI said completely. Right. And uh, right. next thing you know, you just put pretty crappy code in your app. So, or, or insecure, insecure code. code. Yeah. Right. But, you know, or back to We did or this show ages ago. With, was it Kathy O'Neill? The the instruments of math destruction. M A T H math destruction. Yes. And and he, and she was bringing th- this tendency for humans to anthropomorphize and to give agency to things that don't actually have the agency. Well, the software says software doesn't say anything, right? It's a bunch of data organized on a screen. You said it. Now, do you, are you going to own that? You can't use the machine as an excuse. If you believe it, then it's on you. If you're not going to right. think about it critically, then, then it's also on you one way or the other. To get back, Carl, though, I think code reviews, they've always been important. But I think with stuff like this coming out, I think they'll be especially important to identify, like you just said, like was an insecure thing introduced that the developer didn't recognize mm-hmm. or was the code extremely right. inefficient? Now, I will say the stuff I've seen has been really impressive. Um, you know, depending on the language. I, I've mainly looked at the JavaScript side. I haven't done as much with the C-sharp one on that. Pretty impressive stuff, though. But I I can think of uh, or I can envision a job interview in the future where, where somebody will say, you know, so are you a code a writer? And they'll say, no, but I'm a code That's reader. Right. Nice. <laughs> The AI generates my code. <laughs> and okay, you're hired. <laughs> I can tell you what's bad with the AI generated code. Right. <laughs> I mean, how many right. years have we heard though? And, and granted, this gets us way closer to it, I will say. But I mean, come on, you guys have been in the business for forever like me. Mm-hmm. How many years have you heard, oh, this is going to completely eliminate the need for developers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. N- none of us are getting to the bottom well, of our to-do list I, I, ever. Right. No. Is, these are just tools. Last time I checked, we're a dying breed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I don't think there's as many people going into software yeah, development. I don't, I don't oh, you mean from that angle? That may be true. I don't know. Yeah, well, but then again, I keep hearing so many yeah. open jobs yeah. where they can't yeah. hire. They can't I hire. Think, I think we are hiring a lot of people. Look, McDonald's can't hire people. The, you know, the whole debate about, you know, where did the workers go? It's like an awful lot of them spent the pandemic doing training classes on software and have gotten into software and they're not going back to their service jobs because they're software developers now for whatever skills they were able to pick up in the months that were there. But, you know, how many of us did that too all those years ago? You pick it up and you learn it, you work at it, your passion for it will take you a long way. And that's how I did it. You know, the game is we can't fill the jobs fast enough. We still can't. Yep. Because we keep making more jobs. There's so software is eating the world. And, you know, you're going to be the teeth of the food. I, uh, you can't, nobody can see it because we're on a podcast, but I still have one of my first (laughs) books ever I bought 
to do what you just said, Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was VB script or something like that for uh, classic <laughs> right. ASP. So in the early Back early the days day. of Dan Wellini, made bad choices in software. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's real. Well, well actually, first language learned was Perl, and I will say that was not a good language to start. That'll with. talk you out of software development a big old hurry. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, I saw this string. Yeah, it was in a cartoon where the characters were swearing. Exactly. <laughs> Only this one uh, compiles. <laughs> well, everything back then was, this is before classic ASP. It was all CGI, if you yeah. remember. And yeah. Perl kind of, yep, script kind of ran the web back then, oh, yeah. a lot of it. It did magic. It was the Linux it was the way Linux web servers which were. Yeah. The it first also taught us worked. right from the beginning that web development tended to be write once, read never. Right? It was so much easier to rewrite a Perl <laughs> script than it was to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, because somebody else, you know, maintained it. It's like, man, this guy swears a lot. You know, like, he's, like you were just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh man. So what's, so what's next for you, Dan Wallin? Are you, what's in your inbox? Uh, so we are heads down on a couple things. So I'm, uh, our team, you know, since we're cloud advocates, we do a lot with Microsoft learn. So, um, I'm about to release hopefully in the next month and a half, some new .NET core Microsoft. That's why I, I kind of brought it up because I've really mm-hmm. got to dig in deep lately. Uh, so Microsoft, uh, graph learn modules we call them nice They're kind of free learning tools uh and then also a big thing we're working on is uh i think it's gonna be october 26 of 2021 we're gonna have a learn together collaboration event where we're gonna be talking about uh some really cool tech we'll talk it's all like fluid for collaboration real time uh acs azure communication services for the audio video communication and you can add this, by the way, into your line of business apps, which is just freaking. I think we like, have to do a whole show on Fluid. Like Fluid is kind of, it's, it's got a, it's, it's its own thing. It's a, it's a big it deal. Is. Big thing. Um, yeah. And then uh, we'll integrate some M365 and even some GitHub uh, developer collaboration. You know, you've all seen some of the new like .dev domain or you hit dot when you're on a repo and you can go yeah. into the editor directly or code spaces are amazing stuff like that so that's kind of what's coming up here in the near future awesome that sounds great dan you'll have to uh come back and tell us all about it sounds good yeah sooner than three years friends for sure sooner than three yeah. years. all right we'll see you next time on dot net rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a
by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time for 